dampen. Ross, you can you can move that over a little bit so that Brad can put his computer on the table if you'd like. In fact, I yes. kind of intended you to be uh, a little like I kind of intended Brad to be like over there. Oh, uh, so do you want no, me to switch? No, I don't think so. Oh. I, I heard someone. Yeah, I was just uh, chilling out. <laughs> don't mind me. Are you, are you the one on the piano up there? No, dude, I'm, I'm the sound guy that comes around and helps put the sound together once in a while. Oh, oh my okay. God, did you hear me talking about the guy that was jacking off in here? <laughs> no, I wasn't paying any attention. Okay, okay, okay. Was in here? I just, no, wait, wait, I, I, made a, I made a joke. <laughs> it's pure, pure speculation. It was speculation. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I made a joke about a guy who was in here, and it was completely unfounded. I just didn't want for you to think that I was really talking shit about somebody. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's State of the Revolution, the Michigan Progressive Podcast. I'm Benjamin Klon. Ali Gonzalez. Ross Fisher. And Alex Sahori. Uh, we, uh, we just watched a movie uh, called The Report. And uh, it was pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, I really yeah. liked it. I mean, uh, so it was uh, produced by uh, Amazon Studios, and we talk a lot of shit about Amazon on this show, but uh, they made a pretty de- pretty decent film. I think it was distributed on Amazon. I think, isn't it Vice? Vice, yeah. and, Vice is yeah. owned by Amazon, isn't it? Uh, I, I think they might be. would so. not know. They're either owned by Vice or Disney. Well, uh, this film uh, that we just watched, uh, it was a... Uh, it was a drama starring Adam Driver uh, that followed the story of Daniel Jones, who was a staffer for the Senate Intelligence Committee, and he was tasked to uh, investigate and create a report on the CIA's use of torture uh, after 9-11, or, or, or as they put it, uh, the uh, what is it? En- enhanced interrogation techniques. Yeah. We don't torture. Yeah, we don't torture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I do just want to point out that uh, earlier this year, uh, we taped an episode where we did a 16-seed bracket. That was the last episode I was on, I Was think. it? Okay. Yeah. okay. I only come on to talk about American war criminals. Right, right, right. <laughs> so we, we taped an episode where we did a 16-seed bracket where we ranked America's worst war criminals. And I would say probably at least like five of the people who were in that bracket were mentioned in or appeared in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cheney, Cheney um, didn't make an appearance, but he was mentioned multiple times. Well, he, he showed up in like archival footage, right? Because like I didn't think that he did. No, like he, there was one part in the beginning where uh, they showed him talking being interviewed on TV. Ah, okay. Mm. Are we going to be doing, I want to know too, are we going to be doing um, a ranking like we did with Jojo Rabbit? We we could do, like, you mean like a rating? A rating, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we can do that at the end, okay. for sure. So I guess uh, I'm just curious about your guys' initial thoughts on, on the film. Um, I really liked it. I thought that uh, the first hour, the movie is a little long. <clears throat> um, I thought the first hour was incredibly fast paced. I thought that there was a lot of information and there were it spanned many, many, many years. Um, but it wasn't like slow. I wasn't bored the entire time. The second hour I felt was a little slower. It was like a lot slower, which is really weird for a movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Um but I really, really enjoyed it. Something that I really liked is like I'm like a full like kind of idiot and so (laughs) i thought that a lot of the um the things that were mentioned in the film um like the different events and the different names and techniques like it was easy for me to like kind of formulate an opinion on it i don't think that uh i think that the the film i was intimidated to watch i was worried that there was going to be too much legal jargon or political jargon or just what have you and i wasn't going to be able to keep up or it was going to be too boring and i felt like it was none of that i felt like this is a movie that anybody could be able to watch and anybody would be able to watch and formulate their you know an opinion on i'd say anyone who Anyone who pays at least some amount of attention to, you know, maybe like the news or. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, when we were watching, like a good bulk of this film was like, you know, 2012 and like around that time. Um, it's a good flashback. Yeah. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I don't remember hearing about like any of this shit at all. And I mm-hmm. was a, an adult in 2012. Like I voted and stuff. So it was really interesting to um, 
get like a like a history lesson on um, history that I lived through. Yeah, I also really liked it, and I was also struck by how yeah little I was paying attention to it back back then. Um, I yeah, it sort of you know makes you realize. Yeah, or reinforces the point that like the U.S. media does not want to focus on uh, the you know intelligence agencies and what they're up to. Um, one another thing that really, really you know hit home and I guess really affected me was like the torture scenes. I thought were just you know it's just seeing that is just so disturbing and like the fact that this was in my lifetime and this was happening and this was basically brushed under the rug by Republican and, you know, democratic administrations, um, sort of this post-partisan, uh, <laughs> uh, Obama administration the was post-partisan that, yeah. utopia that Obama crafted. For yes. Us. Yeah. So we don't want to, you know, we don't want to piss off the Republicans too much by, you know, exposing, everything that happened during the bush years because we we're past might, that now we might, yeah we just want to all be friends and and you know can't let obamacare get get hurt so i thought um you know you had some familiar faces some real good friends of ours like john Yu and <laughs> and john brennan uh show up in this movie but i thought maybe like the most awesome part of this movie was just the introduction into the zeitgeist of this new terrifying ghoul like this the guy who's pretty much the father of the torture program uh uh, dr jim mitchell uh, yes fucking psycho a real villain yes. a huge true villain <laughs> like it, it, not just like a super psychotic bloodlust but also just severely incompetent and also like this dude looked like he belonged in a beer chugging contest and not (laughs) anything not a fucking in the cia and not a cia contractor like that's just kind of where yeah no just just to give you an example i want to play this clip real quick from the movie okay here's the problem we already know about the heathrow and canary wharf plots He knows that. It's in his goddamn notebook. We asked about plots in the U.S., not London. He's fucking with you again. To be honest, I've never met a resistor like this guy. He's a super resistor. He lied to you to make you stop. He just tells us shit he knows we already have. That's all he does. Then that's what we're learning. That's what the water board is giving us. We now know he's lying. I thought it was meant to give us the truth. And the truth is he's lying. <laughs> the narcissism. That's it's not it's not just the, the pure like psychopathy. It's also the narcissism that it, like allows him and enables him to continue the behavior because he's being what is it? Like his the people who are like overseeing the work that he's doing is just him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, he's like, oh, no, it's not wrong. It's just, it's right. This is exactly the right answer. This is the outcome that we wanted. The truth is that there isn't a truth. No. Right. And you want to know yeah. what? Like, it was also just because um, it was a big thing uh, in the movie, just like how these people had never been interrogators before. Yes. They, they knew nothing about Al-Qaeda. They knew nothing about, uh, you know, uh, terrorism or any of this stuff. What they did know was that they were psychologists. And that the science tells us that if you torture people enough, they'll tell the truth. That's what they tried to claim. Uh, it just it just boggles my mind because like you didn't see any like scientific uh, evidence or like any you'd never saw like uh, the the report never found any you know findings scientific findings and. Just look. Listen to the terminology. I wonder if that's actual like uh, terminology that these motherfuckers use. Super resistor. Like what? Yeah. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Like is that a scientific term? No, it's not. Obviously, <laughs> these guys are just pulling shit out of their ass. They did. Yeah. J- James Mitchell and Bruce Jessa, I think is his name. 
uh, they developed the this. Uh, Apparently, uh, he's got the sauce. Right. Yeah. Right. The secret well, sauce. They developed this enhanced interrogation program uh, by reverse engineering uh, tr- a training program that was gi- that's given to U.S. soldiers to help them resist uh, interrogation. So that that's how they came up with this is by re- uh, reverse engineering a program that had already existed. But like they didn't have any evidence uh, to prove that this actually worked. They were basically just working on guesses and conjecture. And on video evidence that they had seen. So it was wildly speculative. It was these two mad scientists um, who were given um, real people to do scientific like investigations on. And it's like you said, no scientific evidence came from this at all. And it wasn't even their field of study. They were like psychologists in like family psychology. And what was the other one? I can't even, I can't, not behavioral science. No, it was not. like uh, treating hypertension with like dieting and exercise or yeah. something like so, that. So, you know, this isn't like the BSU at the FBI. You know, these this yeah. isn't what these people are. Like it was way above like their intelligence. Well, you have to wonder like what the, yeah, it makes me wonder like what the real like motivations of these people are because if they're using these like pseudoscientific theories to back up um, what they were doing, you know, it makes me think that a lot of what they're doing is just the sadistic yeah. like, methodology just to just to basically get back at the bad guy. I think it was yes. pretty heavily implied in the movie uh, when, you know, Dr. Mitchell is talking about why he's doing the things he's doing. And it's pretty heavily implied that he's just fucking angry and bloodthirsty mm-hmm. and he wanted yeah. re- vengeance after 9-11. Well, do, you remember, do you remember where you were on 9-11? I, oh, do I, was so, I was so sick of hearing that the entire movie, the, the justification was, it always came back to 9-11. That is why we are torturing 119 people a, at a quarter, a, at least a quarter of which had no reason to be detained in the first place, mm-hmm. and it was just it was it was so infuriating because it was like how long are we going to keep up the shtick that this is the reason why we get away like an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth? Well, so, what's incredibly vile about this too? Like I mentioned John Yu before, and like what he said was that you know we, you can do program if you can you can do use this torture program or not it's not torture you can use this interrogation program right if you get if you can get unique information and and that it's got to work so you know like you got to it's if if it's a you you unique way to get the information that you need and that's the only way you're going to get the information that you need that's what makes it legal to, according to John Yu so if it didn't work they couldn't go back and say it didn't work which they had they so they said yeah it worked yeah we even though they knew all this stuff already uh, basically, the the almost the entire sh- uh, movie is going through and fi- sh- how uh, uh, Dan's or Adam Driver's character Dan figures out how you know all of these uh, CIA claims that you know the torture was helping them were false. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but before we keep going, I just want to back up a little bit and give some more context for anyone who's listening who hasn't watched the movie. Um, uh, so, basically, back in. Uh, I think it was about 2002 is when they Mm -hmm. started this program. And a few years later, uh, it was discovered that the CIA had destroyed tapes of their interrogations of uh, particularly Abu Zubaydah and I think another detainee. So they had these tapes of them like waterboarding these people and the CIA uh, destroyed them. Shout out Uh, to Gina Haspel. Yeah, I believe that was ordered by Gina Haspel, who is now the CIA director as of this recording right now. Um, And so uh, when this came out in the news, uh, the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee uh, basically commissioned a report uh, to find out what happened. And after learning uh, after learning what was in that report, which is right now, I believe, still classified, uh, they tasked Daniel Jones, uh, the person who led that investigation, to lead an even deeper investigation into what they actually did and why um, and the effectiveness of this program. And so when he was given this job, uh, he had uh, the, the movie basically gave him it's the, the movie showed him having about six other staffers working with him. Uh, but uh, I believe it was actually closer to 20. It was, uh, a lot more people. Um, and they were given this uh, windowless office in this uh, offsite location uh, for them to do their research. And they were given 
uh, 6.5, about 6.5 million CIA documents and records, which is the equivalent of um, about two urban libraries. Wow. Um, and so they poured through all these documents over the course of about five years uh, in this windowless office building um, uh, to compile this report. Yeah, and it's it, it it's like pretty incredible, right? Like, so the the reason why they kept doing this was because uh, they had to say it was a success, or else it wouldn't have been legal. And because they kept going back and saying it was a success, they kept ordering them and yep. approving them. So it was basically this vicious cycle of lies, and it's so incredible because you literally had a, a detainee die, who. Like who we don't even know is supposed to be there, uh, right? And you know, all we got was his name. They were interrogating him for hours. All they got was his name. That should have been the red flag. That should have been the proof that this was ineffective. And but it my, wasn't to them. My worry about that even is that it's also been proven, and it, it you know it gets proven in the movie. You see it time and time again. The prisoners, the detainees, the people who are being tortured, they will say anything for you to stop it. So what really is frightening is that we don't even know if that's really his name or if he just said, yes, this is who I am. So they would stop torturing him. And then like two days later, he's dead. Just two days. Mm -hmm. So nothing. The only intelligence that we got off of this person was a name, not his, just a name. Yeah, I like how the movie broke it down and i mean they spent some time you know in, in going over the early stages of the program but I, and i also liked you know after once the democrats take power you'd expect this commitment to righting the wrongs and finding justice and really you know getting to the bottom of this but when you're talking about giving a you know a staff of 20 people 6.5 million documents to go through it's clear that they really don't have any serious commitment to uh, you know, actually exposing things that the deep state is doing. And so it's just, it's just shows that there's like, yeah, back to this bipartisan consensus that we don't, yeah, we, you know, even if there are mistakes made one party might, you know, uh, might not, you know, double down on it, you know, as Obama canceled the program, but was not interested in actually investigating it. Or holding anyone accountable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, most not, important. Not only that, but like, you know, just to be a little bit more like cynical here, like Obama, like it, it, there was that scene after um, they had uh, killed Bin Laden, and you know uh, Dan goes over uh, to Diane Feinstein's office, and he's and he's like, uh, yeah, they're the CIA is lying. Um, yep. The torture did not help us get Bin Laden. That's not true. I have all the evidence here. They knew about all of this stuff before they did the torture program, even. And, um, you know, so Dan Feinstein calls uh, Barack Obama and, you know, he just goes, um, let me be clear. Uh, I don't give a shit. And then, yeah. <laughs> basically, that's just it. He just does, like doesn't give a shit. And he's like and then um, Dan's just like, what the fuck just happened? And then Dianne Feinstein's chief of staff is like, the CIA just got the president reelected. That's what happened. And it's just like, you know, that's what this is. This That's what this all is. They're just covering their own asses. Um, instead of doing what's right. And it's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, the, the film um, was very strong in making the point that none of the intel that they got from torturing people uh, was actually useful. Because mo most of what they, like, basically everything they got uh, either was bullshit or they got they had already gotten it another way like they had already known about it. One, one example I found like really fucking comical and it's it's I mean... The, the movie overall is very sad and tragic. And, um, yeah, somber. It's not yeah, a very, fun, very light somber. Film. But there were there were a couple moments that I I laughed my ass off. Like there was uh, when uh, they were like the CIA was basically arguing that uh, they had gotten intel uh, by torturing someone about a potential terrorist threat that they were able to stop, uh, but. 
uh, Adam Driver's character, uh, you know, Daniel Jones, he says, you know, from like reading all these documents and records they had, like this guy that they supposedly thwarted, like this this attack that they supposedly thwarted, uh, his his um, the only information he had about like making like bombs and like hydrogen bombs, which is supposedly what this guy was trying to do, came from like a joke article on the internet uh, that said that in order to make a hydrogen bomb, you put uranium in a bucket and you swing it around your head for 45 minutes, you know, as fast as you can. <laughs> but that's like, that'd be like getting detained and tortured for reading like a really, you know, edgy Onion article. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. it, I remember just, I remember thinking that too, like, that could have been an Onion article that we went to prison for. <laughs> it was just insane. Hey everyone, uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode. I just wanted to jump in and remind you to subscribe to our show. If, you, if you're, if you uh, like what you're hearing, then uh, please subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever else you get podcasts. You can follow our show on Facebook at State of the Revolution. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at SOTRpod. You can uh, email us at SOTRpod at gmail.com. And if uh, if you enjoy the if you enjoy our podcast, then please consider sub- subscribing to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Michigan Progressive. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a month or two ago, we started uh, putting out more bonus content. We're going to have another bonus episode coming out uh, this week. Uh, so if you'd like access to that, uh, then please go subscribe at patreon.com slash Michigan Progressive. Back to the show. What I also liked about the film is, while I agree, uh, I think it was you who said the, the scenes of torture, they were disturbing. I think that they were um, they were not graphic. They were graphic, but they weren't like graphic you know what i mean there wasn't Um, a whole lot of blood there wasn't blood there weren't there weren't any heavy visuals but you saw people being tortured um i think that that was important for them to add sometimes i watch i i like a lot of uh horror films horror films and i don't um i don't much care for like gore um or like Mm. scenes of you know like just just like heavy distress that is aided with with a lot of just like blood and bloodletting and stuff like that um but i thought that it was horrifying because it very much was like the type of horror films that i really do like which is that psychological terror and a lot of these like techniques that they use that um the learned helplessness where you open the gate on this person that we've tortured and they're not even going to run um that's real life horror Like, you know, and I think that it was important for them to use the visuals because it did humanize, in my opinion, it did humanize it. So I think that maybe someone who had who um, has an opinion on torture where they might be pro torture or like we didn't have any other choice, you know, which was a big talking point that people used as well. Um, I think that they'll see that in a man being waterboarded and someone's holding a picture of his kids in front of him while it's happening, that will be necessary. And I thought, I thought that it was, um, it was, uh, like very graphic without going overboard with it. Yeah. it, It would be interesting for me to show that to like some more conservative family members and see what their reaction would be, because I think they'd be also horrified by it. I think it yeah. might shift their opinion a little bit of it. Um, yeah. And you, yeah, you see all these torture scenes, you see how ineffective and ridiculous the program was. And we also know that it's mostly based on this desire for revenge from 9-11. But then we go back before 9-11 and we see that uh, we had all of the intel we needed <laughs> to prevent 9-11 from happening. It was just the FBI and the CIA not sharing information. And so if why can't why wouldn't they have just realized that, you know, if they if they could have done that, they would have prevented this instead of trying all these new techniques that didn't have any real but so the real so I think it just shows that it's it was out just all pure. Yeah, but they, they wanted to make sure that the, the CIA wanted to make sure that, you know, the the FBI knew that they had a bigger bigger dick. And that's right. that's yeah. literally all it was. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just like carnal. Well, yeah. Like, there there was a flashback in the beginning of the movie, uh, you know, in the, like the first part where uh, what's his name, Ali Sufan, uh, he was like uh, he was the FBI guy mm-hmm. who was interrogating Abu Zabeda. Um, just tricked them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, they were he was being like very calm and you know polite to him, you know, building you rapport. Building Bu- rapport. Building rapport, which is what they found to be the best way to interrogate people is by building rapport, establishing a relationship, and not just fucking torturing them. So, um, uh, Ali Sufan uh, got some information from Zubeda by doing this, and when uh, George Tennant 
uh, who was the CIA director at the time, found out. He was like, oh, that's great. Awesome. Who? Uh, I want to talk to them. I want to thank them. And they're like, in the two CIA officials that he was talking to were like, well, it wasn't one of ours. It was actually an FBI guy. And he's like, what the fuck, FBI? This should be us. Why? We should be the ones getting this information. So, I mean, it's just another demonstration that, of like the, you know, the FBI and the CIA not getting along and not wanting to be, you know, not wanting to work with each other. Right. And not only was like torture just ineffectual, it also was a recruiting asset to Al Qaeda and other uh, extremists. But like, and, and even to even go further, it, it was proven that in the 1970s um, that it was just ineffective, even in 1978 or whatever year that they had mentioned in the film. They, the CIA knew that it was ineffective. And it was like I said, we were watching it. The cruelty is the point. And I was really happy that um, Adam Driver's character, Dan, that he, you know, when he's speaking with the journalist um, later on in the film, when he's kind of he's got this dichotomy of whether I should just release this information or whether I should trust um, like my elected officials to get this information out and to hold these people accountable. Um you know, he's sitting there and the journalist asks him, you know, uh, why do you think that we did it if we knew that it was ineffectual? And why did we continue doing it if we knew it didn't work? And, you know, his explanation was, you know, it was perfect. We were afraid and we did bad things. And it was because the people did not have the same beliefs as us and the people did not look like us. Like it wasn't, he didn't, there was no, you know, they, I think they touched perfectly on everything. These are people from halfway around the world who we were afraid of before this happened because they were different and that made it easier for us to do it. So even though the 1970s proved to us that we couldn't do it, we tried it again. And it, like you said, just out of spite, just out of that spite. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was shown in that conversation that Dan Jones was having uh, with that journalist from the New York Times. Uh, the, the, he was like a national security reporter. And he said to Dan, you give us your report. We'll publish the whole thing tomorrow. 7,000 pages. 7,000 fucking pages. And that's, that's, that was the final report that he created was about 7,000 pages long. But in the end, they only authorized the release of a 500-page summary. No more than 500, I think it was. Well, first, uh, for, well, in the movie, she said no more than 400, okay. but it ended up being about 470-something 400, uh, pages, I believe. Um, and so I guess I'm wondering, uh, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, do, do you think that Dan should have leaked the full report to the press? Do you think he should have pulled an Edward Snowden? Because that's a name that came up a couple oh, times in yeah. the movie. Yeah, I thought it came up a lot. Um I feel like if it was me, I might have done it. He definitely had a lot more trust in um, the government (laughs) (laughs) than I do, because I would have just walked into the car, left the files in that bitch, and then got a plane ticket to Moscow. I would not have waited. Moscow specifically? Yes. Maybe Havana. But I would have gotten out. I would not have waited for Diane Feinstein to do the work that I've been doing for five years when she's almost kind of been trying to thwart or, you know, slow my efforts to get this information out. But I guess he did the right thing in the end. <laughs> um, we're le- we know about this now. And this information mm-hmm. is now very easily accessible to lots of people because it's in movie form. So I guess, you know, it was a good choice. Yeah, I mean... It's hard to think about like what you know all the different things that 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 they redacted like you know from the full report. Obviously, I think there might have been some stuff in there that could have been really juicy, could have been really good. Uh, he would have probably had to leave. You know, he probably had to, would have to pull like a full Snowden and get out of the country. Um, that's a big, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a big move. So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the Spooks probably would have capped him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> it doesn't give you much time to leave either. They're like, oh, seven thousand pages. We'll have it morning edition next, you know, like in 24 hours, we'll have it. Like, I mean, who you know, the out fuck there. is going to read the, all that, though? Like, that's that's one thing I read. I but people say. would. But people would. And it would be taken those well, little pre- bits and yeah, pieces. The press would, read would have, it. yeah, mm-hmm. like little vultures. Well, well, some people would read some parts and some people would read other parts and people would tell other people what was in their part. And nobody's reading that thing from cover to cover. I'll say, I'll say this. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it's easy for us to say in our podcast chairs in front of microphones 
to uh, you know leak out this information. But look what happened. To I'm Snowden. not saying I'm not saying I would have. I was yeah. asking you guys if you think he should have. He was looking out for number one, and I really can't blame him. And mm-hmm. I I I'm glad that there was the political will in the Senate Intelligence Committee to actually. Yeah. Get this out there. And I think because it almost didn't come out. And that's kind of the difference between the these two different whistleblowers. Right. Is because there's no political uh, there was no political, you know, will to, you know, protect Snowden anywhere in Congress. And uh, there, but there was in this case, yeah. and you know we we have a similar situation in the case of um, the whistleblower, the whistleblower in the impeachment. So, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of uh, it, there. It if if it came out that the Senate wasn't going to release the um, wasn't going to re- release the report, I probably would have done it. Yeah, well, also, you have to consider, given the position that Jones had uh, as the lead investigator uh, for this for this report, uh, he was probably on a watch list, like a flight, like a flight list. Yeah. <laughs> they had tried to go anywhere. They, that's they, true. They would have stopped him. <laughs> you know, you bring up. Yeah, that's a good point. You bring up a really good point. What did you guys think of um, Annette Benning's portrayal of Dianne Feinstein? Or just the portrayal of Feinstein in this movie in general. Yeah, I think she was. I think she was portrayed fairly favorably in the movie. I agree. Yeah. You know, and I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I don't know all of the details. I, you know, I, I didn't get you know, research it enough to know her entire role. But, but there was still elements where I mean, she's talking about how we need to defend our intelligence agencies and yeah. you know things like that. So. And like her her um her approval of the Obama drone strike. Yeah, she she, she said like that. that she went out on a limb and she broke with broke with her party to support the drone program. Yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, you fucking did, didn't you? Yeah. And I she liked... was like, I think Edward Snowden is a traitor. Yeah. But I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, not knowing Diane Feinstein, her mannerisms, how she speaks, how she dresses, you know, things like that, as well as I would know maybe like AOCs or Bernie Sanders. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that uh, she came off as senatorly. <laughs> things that I know about Diane Feinstein, you know, are just things that I've seen on paper. She's not someone that I follow closely in videos or um, even on the news and things like that. So but I thought the I would just like to say I thought the actress was fantastic. I thought that she she was very calculated and calm the entire time. And I really liked that. Um if that's really what Diane Feinstein is like, I like that. Unfortunately, um, I think her her portrayal of Feinstein was a lot like nicer than like actual like Feinstein because like yeah. Feinstein to me like if like if she were to have portrayed her more accurately would have like slowed down her voice like talked about at half the speed she was speaking mm-hmm. spoken in like an extremely <laughs> boring zombie-esque <laughs> way that you literally fall asleep. I was gonna to. say like her portrayal in this film was not too dissimilar from the only video of the only actual video of Feinstein that I've ever taken the time to watch, which is when uh, the sunrise protester showed up at her yeah. office and said, Oh, like all these little kids are like, Hey, can you please pass a green new deal? So we don't have to die and we don't have to die. Cause we don't, we don't want to live in this kind of future. And she stood there and told them, well, we don't have the money for it. We're I'm sorry. We don't have the money. How are we going to pay for it? the money kids. for the drone strikes that's right so, <laughs> yeah that's and i and honestly when i the entire time i was watching the movie i was like this is the bitch who told them kids to go drown isn't it like <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah she has a r- horrible record if you look back at her record yeah. like her you know she has so many instances of like voting incredibly conservatively um and she's also i think like 87 years old now so yeah yeah i i also said that during filming that i thought that they were very generous with um her age portrayal that um she looked a lot younger than diane feinstein where she'd been old for like 30 years so you know i thought she looked very young yeah, I mean, when when I heard that, you know, when I when I watched the trailer for the movie and I saw that Feinstein was going to be in it, um, I was I was concerned that they were going to like make her a much more honorable and you know valorous character than than she is in real life, and they they kind of did do that. Um, I think I think there were some things that like 
uh, showed showed her in a more critical light, depending on your p- political persuasion. Like for us as leftists, we're like, oh yeah, you did support the drone program. That's fucked up. But like other people, you know, who are watching the movie, people who are more, you know, toward the center or the right, they they probably didn't have a problem with that, you know? Yeah. And, yeah it was very nice of her to yeah. be so bipartisan and support the, exactly, yeah, support yeah. the drone program. Like, for that's sure. Beautiful. The true hero, I felt like, uh, in the Senate Intelligence Committee was... Um, John McCain. <laughs> fuck, the bitch. only hero. No, <laughs> no. Oh, wait, no, no, he wasn't on hero. the Intelligence Committee, was he? He 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 did the thing with Diane Feinstein. It was it was, it was uh, Mark Udall from Colorado. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Who lost his election campaign? Who lost sadly. his? Yeah, mm-hmm. he was like that scene when he basically brings up the Panetta files or report or whatever that um it was technically called. That scene was so good. Like I loved that scene, and throughout the entire movie, he is just champ like champ championing. Um, however you say that word, um, Dan Jones. And I, I just loved that. Like, he was like, no, I got you. Like, I'm a hundred percent behind you. These things need to come to light and I'm going to, you know, and I thought that it was smart that he was the, that, that Senator specifically was the one whose, um, hands the Panetta report ended up in. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I loved him. I love that character. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, it's good that we brought that up, the Panetta report, because I, I thought probably the craziest part of the movie um and this is kind of why the movie slowed down at the second half was because yeah. it was a kind of about how the senate basically hacked or this or i mean the cia basically hacked the senate because they didn't want the torture report coming out mm-hmm. and then the, yep and then there was that which i thought was really good was really interesting i had no idea about it but i do think that that is that is probably um a big reason why I feel like it did slow down because it kind of it veered off topic, I guess. Um, but yeah. I thought it was in, I never knew about that shit before. It was amazing to, to learn about. Just to give a little more context, when the, when the, when Dan Jones and his team completed their report, uh, the CIA was given an opportunity to respond. And basically they went into, they went to the, you know, news channels and the media and said, Oh, this is all infactual. Like there are a lot of serious factual errors with this report and does not actually represent what happened. But uh, it came out later that uh, one of Obama's CIA directors, um, sorry, what was his name again? The one that starts with the P? Panetta. Panetta, yeah, sorry. Uh, Leon Panetta. Um, uh, He had uh, ordered an internal investigation. So the CIA did their own report. Uh, They did their own investigation on the uh, uh, torture program, and their report found basically the exact same findings. Uh, It came to the exact same conclusions that the Senate committee's report came to. Um, But yet they were in the media saying that the Senate committee report uh, was bullshit. Yeah. So the Panetta report was basically the receipts. Yeah. It was the receipts that, okay, we were right back in the 70s. It's ineffective. Torture is ineffective. The enhanced interrogation uh, tactics, techniques, um, also ineffective. But they were, um, I don't know if it was sealed or if they were deleted or what have you. But earlier in the film, there was uh, the, what is it? The one of the not a he wasn't technically a doctor, he was a physician's assistant right. who had overseen some of the like uh waterboarding and some of the torture. Um, who approaches Dan Jones, um, and basically tells him, like, no, there's a paper trail, like, there's emails, and or you know, I'm gonna send you this email, or there's emails if you look into it, then that's where all the proof is. Um, and that's basically uh the findings, which I thought was really cool too, because you forget about it because it happens so early on in the film that I was like, Oh, it's the envelope. Like it's the envelope that he, you know, signs and just throws in that filing cabinet and just forgets about. Mm -hmm. And it just, it came back. It was almost like watching like a, like a mystery movie. It's like, oh, that's a callback. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest, I'm surprised that the CIA report wasn't just, where were you on 9-11? <laughs> Followed by a video just playing the loop of the People towers falling. being the towers yeah. being hit for yeah. like 
seven hours straight. That, that was what I was expecting. But. I mean, really, though, they were really that stupid. So, like, one of these guys, another, you know, character that was introduced in uh, this movie in the CIA was, um, God, uh, Rodriguez. What yes. was his name? Jose Rodriguez. Jose Rodriguez. This he, was mother- the, he was the director of the CIA's counterintelligence center. Okay, so, but th- this, so this guy was basically in the room. This guy was the one who basically signed off on the torture program. And his basic, like, justify... He justified it, basically. Well, it was explained to him, you know, right, when our soldiers get captured, we tell them, like, this acronym, and, you know, like, it's survive, evade. Seer, yeah. yeah, So that's the program that the two psychologists were reverse engineering. Right, right, that the the soldiers use. Right, exactly. So, but But it's for our soldiers. The seer was for our soldiers when they get captured. So what they did was, like, all right, we're gonna use this, and we're we're going to reverse engineer it to make it so that when we capture people, they can't do this, right? And it, they're, ba- they're what they did was, all right, we're going to torture the fuck out of them. And uh, uh, Rodriguez goes, oh, well, if we've been doing this here to our guys, why not do it to theirs? And that's – he literally didn't understand. Just missed the point, yeah. D- d- didn't understand – like some – I there was like that one woman in the movie. I don't know, even know what they gave her uh, her character a name for some reason. I feel like they didn't do that for a few people in this movie. Yeah, um, or it was mentioned once and never yeah. again. And uh, the, uh, um, she was kind of like the uh, CIA officer – Kind of like um, one of the foot soldiers, kind of leading this uh, program. Are you talking about Mrs. California? Is yeah. Robert California's wife? Oh, uh, the, ta- brunette, the brunette, the brunette, yeah. the brunette, the evil yeah. brunette. Yeah, I know you're talking about. <laughs> there that was an guy. evil blonde and an evil brunette. Yeah, <laughs> right. The <laughs> evil brunette was played by the same woman who played Robert California's wife in The Office. Right. Yeah. No. We should have so, known that she could be trusted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, like she totally knew what was going on. She's like, well, I think this could be a breakthrough right away. She knew what was up, but like this other guy, her boss, had no fucking clue. Just an idiot. These people are so dumb. These people are so dumb. I can't stress that enough. They're so dumb. Like, what is the psychology of the guy who likes, like, like you say one day at work, you know, you're at, you sign off on the torture program, you know, you go home, your wife, you know, oh, what did you do at work today, honey? Oh, nothing, nothing really, you know, uh, just you know, sign off on a. To torture party or something. Like that. No, but, <laughs> no, no, but, you know, like, but like, what, what, how do you like? How does people like that like live with themselves? Like after like how they sleep and, at like, night. Like, like they literally just sign a document and then you know these horrible atrocities happen. Yeah, this guy's probably. I, mean, I don't know what happened to him, but he's probably you know just living a normal normal life. I'm sure somewhere. Yeah, I which. I think that their anger, people's anger, especially the people who are involved in this. I think it outweighed their conscious, you know what I mean? Like where they, they, they could justify and rationalize what they were doing in their head because of their own anger. So their anger justified doing this to, to tons of people. So I, I honestly do believe they probably sleep really easy at night, but it still makes them really evil. Um, like the, one of the fucking psychotic doctors who was just like yeah i kept i kept the cloth that we put over oh, yeah. the, i mean the uh, most college shake muhammad yeah the most dist the the this we have no we have no way of knowing if that scene really happened in real life but i know in my heart of hearts it did and oh. i know in my heart of hearts he was also smiling he, oh, when he yes. said it yes. yeah and it's it makes it this is, guy, this is a guy who like throughout the movie he was like referring to himself in the third person like when they first showed up at the black site and uh ali sufan is like what who, who are these people what are you what are you doing here what are you gonna do and and he's like uh J- what's jim gonna do jim's gonna do what works <laughs> so frustrating he's literally i said it i'll say it again if ted bundy had successfully gone to law school or had successfully gone to med school to become a psychologist it would have been the same person that sociopathy that just anti-social disorder where he just does he understands that other people have emotions but doesn't have them themselves or knows how to mimic them and then just the cool callousness of a narcissist who knows that he cannot do anything wrong it was that same exact thing the literal 
Nazi doctors. Mm -hmm. What's going to work? Let's do it. These aren't really people. So let's have it happen. It was just uh, real villains. I mean, I know it came out this year, but I mean, these are real villains. These are real horror movie villains and they're real people. They're real people. Yeah. And these are things that actually happen. Our best friends, John Yu and John Brennan. (laughs) Yeah. Just evil. Just pure evil. The cruelty is the point. And unfortunately, and it's, you know, at the end, they say it, too, that, like, there's nothing that we can do to make that stain go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can't. But we can I, fold as a country. Well, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the acknowledgement is important. But I think the acknowledgement, you know, it'll only make. It's only important if everyone acknowledges it. And I think the problem is that not enough people know about this because I sure as fuck didn't. And I like to think of myself as somewhat socially aware of what's happening politically, internationally, you know, whatever. I had no fucking clue any of this. I knew we tortured people. I knew about waterboarding. I knew about Abu Ghraib. But not this. Not the full extent. Well, I mean, I feel like that's just kind of natural when it comes to matters of like clandestine services, you know. Yeah, I feel like I, you know, the I the whole time I was racking my brains. Like, I was so like trying to be an adult and like watching C-SPAN and watching like the news so much in high school, like when this stuff would have been happening. And the only thing I can think of that like the faintest like memories of this happening would have been jokes in high school about waterboarding. Like people making jokes about it, and then like seeing it, it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's a what is it? Uh, there was this joke I read a long time ago that was like, you know, uh, the phrase "waterboarding at Guantanamo Bay" uh, sounds like a really rad time if you don't know what either of those things are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sounds pretty sweet to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did something. No, here say that. It's, yeah, if you didn't know what it was, it sounds like when they have those waves shoot up at you at like a water park and you yeah. go down on the like the fake <laughs> surfboard. Yeah. I did that in um the seventh grade and the waves were so strong they ripped my bikini bottoms off. Wow. Yeah. I was mortified. <laughs> that but not as mortified as I would be if I had been waterboarded. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, actually, before we started taping, I asked you guys. You, you guys remember uh, Mad Cow? He was a, no, no, yeah, no. He was a ra- he was a radio host. He had his own radio program, and uh, this happened years ago. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember exactly what happened or when it happened, but he was like on his show saying, you know, like, oh, I've heard of this waterboarding, and like, I, you know, obviously, it seems like fucking nothing. Like, just this is torture. Like, are you serious? Like, this seems so stupid. And then someone challenged him to actually be waterboarded. So he could see for himself. Um, and he's like, yeah, fuck it. Fine. I'll do it. I'll fucking do it. Oh, and so like God. they, so on uh, live on his show, there's a video of it. You can find on YouTube um, where, you know, he's, he's like, okay, fine, we'll do it. And they strap him down and they waterboard him for like literally like three seconds. Like it's like three, five seconds. And he, he, he immediately is like, no, stop, stop, stop. And they're like, like, what do you, well, what do you think now? Like, you know, and, and he's like, that was the fucking worst thing that I've ever experienced in my life. Well, I I hear that when you're waterboarded, obviously it's supposed to mimic drowning or whatever. It's supposed to simulate uh, the feeling of drowning. But like I heard that, you know, even just one second of that, you you panic. So then everything feels a lot longer than it is because Mm -hmm. when you, you know, there's no way to stop yourself from panicking when you can't breathe. So it just makes the experience worse. So I believe that those three seconds probably felt like 30. You know what I mean? I I Mm -hmm. believe it. Yeah. You said his name was what? M- M- man cow man cow i put mad dog <laughs> yeah and there has also been like navy this is a mad dog radio <laughs> podcast i'm about to waterboard myself to, to own the libs i'm gonna own the libs by waterboarding myself no problem oh, it's yeah, not gonna be a big deal live on air in 2009 i yeah. never heard about this this is 10 full years ago this is what should be circulating on twitter the best moments of the decade <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ooh, let's watch that after this. Yeah, Done. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll throw a link to it in, uh, in, the, yeah, show, in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. That fucker. Oh, the, yeah. more narcissism. Just more pure narcissism. There's been a, and there's been a lot of Navy SEALs who've come forward who were waterboarded as part of that Sears uh, training, and you know they have said that it's torture. Obviously, and the people who experience it have a very clear position on it. Yeah. Definitely something that I don't want to do. 
ever. No. Yeah. It's like I said, it's like that morbid curiosity of what would drowning feel like? But like, you're never going to do that. I think to do it, it's just, yeah, it's just narcissism. Like I'll do it and I'll survive. Like, you know, why would anyone do that when people have like died or almost died having that happen to them? It just blows my mind that people, that that happened. Well, I think that well, they had mentioned in the film that I think it was uh, KSM College Sheikh Mohammed. They had waterboarded him like so many fucking times, over a hundred. Like they they had to rev- like he like they had to revive him. He would have died um, because like they were actually drowning him. They weren't just simulating it. They were actually yeah, holding drowning him. their hands so that the water would pool over his mouth and nose. Yeah, yeah. Which and and never he never cracked. He never he just. It's so ineffective. It's ineffective. It- He's some type of super wizard. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that Muslim magic. Just, oh the water doesn't affect him. <laughs> well, now we know the truth. The truth is that he's lying to us. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, this uh, detainee has the most of the Quran memorized I've ever experienced. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah. Oh, dude, do we want to do, what was the word? R- ratings. ratings. I, I, it was rankings was still fighting to come out of my mouth. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think I would give it, uh, I'd give it an eight out of 10. I really like this movie and I liked it a lot more than I thought I would too. Um, cause I was expecting it to be like, I was expecting the whole thing to be just kind of slow and dry. Cause there, there, there was, uh, I mean, it's, it's a movie about a fucking government report. Um, a 7,000 a 7,000 page report, but it is still, uh, incredibly important and very relevant. And Adam driver, I thought did a great job as Dan Jones, um, I mean, he's not that great of an actor to begin with, but, you know, I think he played the role really well. And uh, from what I understand, what I've been reading about, the the film is pretty, pretty goddamn accurate to what actually happened. I would give it a nine out of ten. I also really enjoyed this film. I thought that it was I thought that it was portrayed in a way, like I said earlier, that um, most people would be able to consume this media and learn a lot from it, Um, maybe without feeling overwhelmed. I, I I didn't feel overwhelmed by any jargon. I didn't feel overwhelmed by the like n- the overload of information that they really did uh, give you in two hours. Um, all, all of the acting was really good. Um, like you said, like I mean, I'm not the biggest Adam Driver fan either. I don't think he really. <sighs> I don't care for him as an actor in these types of serious roles. I don't there like was him that, as... There was that moment in the movie when he's, like, going off on Diane Feinstein. Yes, and he's losing his mind. And, like, I'm, 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 I was just thinking of, like, Kylo Ren, like, yelling yelling to Ray, you know, stop it! Stop! You know, just, you're holding, holding on! Just on. let stop go! Yeah. Let go! Yeah, it's just, like, when I when I think of um, Adam Driver being emotional, it's just tempestuous. So even when he's trying to come off as passionate, he just comes off as, like, this little tempest in a teapot, you know what I mean? Like, and like I said, I, well, I think of Kylo Ren, where he, you you know, he's so mad at uh, fucking Luke Skywalker. And he's like, you know, Luke's like, I'm sorry, Kylo. I was a fucking dick. And he's like, yeah, I know that. You know, yeah. you know, so like, I was you know he worried. said, yeah, I bet you are. Yeah, I bet you are. Like a little <laughs> child. So I was worried about him in this film. But that his like descent into madness, the Pepe Sylvia scene, <laughs> when, you know, where he's I thought it was good. Well, no, yeah, they're, they're office, they're like the office they were working out of is just like covered in documents and photos of like the different de- detainees. Yeah, it's very, very. Very uh, like Charlie Day in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you know? I would also give it an 8 out of 10. I think, I, yeah, I agree with a lot of what, what you guys were saying. I think it pretty successfully dramatized an otherwise a subject that, yeah, could be really, could not be, could be, you know, boring if, if, you, if you did it the wrong way. And I thought the, thought the acting was really good, so I liked it a lot. Um, I'm going to... Uh... Kind of be a little contrarian here. I'm gonna go with a seven. Still a good movie. Yeah. Um, but I rate it as a seven because um, number one, it wasn't, in my opinion, very entertaining. Um, you know, I've seen you know some movies that have similar, uh, that have similar types of settings that have. I don't really need a whole lot of action if you have dialogue that puts me in suspense. I didn't really have that here. Um. 
And also, uh, you know, we were talking about how the editing was, or not that the beginning was very uh, fast paced. You know, like usually I like that, but in the way they did it, I felt it was very choppy. So that's like, mm. I don't really agree. I didn't really like the editing so much in this movie. Um, but, you know, uh, to end on a good note. Um, you know, kind of going off piggybacking what you guys were saying earlier about Adam Driver's performance. It was super spectacular. Just like seeing him the first the, you're introduced um, to him in the lawyer's office. Right. Which is supposed to be at like the very end of the movie. And you see him just kind of like acting nervous, but not really um, hysterical. And uh but and then you kind of go like back in time and you see how you know this is like a young ambitious kid i thought i made this joke early in the movie i'm like guys this is a story about a lib getting radicalized yeah. and that's like literally what it was he was just like a boring lib oh he's like harvard grad harvard grad like you know just you know, like just one of these like you know just blank slates that get uh, these jobs in Washington, D.C. And he um, descends into anger. Mm-hmm. And you see that and it radicalizes him. It gives him a sense of right and wrong. Yeah. And, you know, that's, well, I think one thing that that's he... something I thought that was brilliant with his performance and the directing. And that was great. One thing that you had mentioned uh, toward the end of the movie is, well, you know, the, the, at the beginning beginning of the movie, uh, it, it was it, it's ba- basically started in 2003, and Adam Driver's character, uh, he is meeting with the with Dennis McDonough, who would go on to be Obama's chief of staff, and he was asking for a job in the Senate. And McDonald told him, you know, don't you, you don't want to do this right now. You know, wait till things turn around. Wait till Democrats have control of the Senate again. Um, go get yourself some real world experience. You know, go work with the CIA, the FBI, you know, uh, go learn some things that will help you so that you can come back here and help us fix the things that Bush and Cheney are breaking. Um, and you had mentioned, like, if if John Hamm, Dennis McDonald had just given him the job, none of this would have happened. <laughs> yeah. Was that me? I don't remember that. It was me. Oh, um, no, it was Allie. Sorry. But yeah, I, I really like that that was the scene. It's also the only scene, or like the last scene you see uh, Dan laugh in the whole movie. Um, yeah, well, you know, I, I, the one thing that I picked up on, uh, well, I, I did watch it a couple times. One thing I picked up on the second viewing is... Um, you know, in the in the beginning, before he was meeting with McDonough, like he had like this like uh, snow globe that had uh, it was like the DC skyline inside of it. Uh, it was like a souvenir he had gotten. Like in the beginning of the movie, like he's walking up to the Capitol steps and he's taking a picture. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's fresh and new and you know excited by everything. He's uh, all these new things that he's experiencing, and. At the end of his meeting with McDonald, when he told him, hey, you know, don't, you know, go find another job first. When he left his office, he he accidentally left the snow globe there. Huh. Which I thought was an interesting, I guess, kind of uh, metaphor for him, like, leaving behind his... Um, idealistic ideal- conception of Washington. Yeah, his idealistic conception of how Washington, D.C. works, you know? Yeah. I, I remember thinking the whole movie, too, is just like... What would this what was this guy like even before this? Because you know, he's very like cut and dry. He's very, you know, for the most part, not emotional. Um, which is why he was tasked with the job because it had to be just about the facts. It couldn't be partisan. It just had to be just about the facts, no emotion. Um <clears throat> But I have a feeling that he was a lot like that even before. You know what I mean? Like, I what is this guy like if you meet him at a bar? You know what I mean? Like, that guy is probably... He doesn't have time to go to the bar. He's he's locked in a room. Five years five in that documents. lead room. <laughs> in a basement somewhere. Going over six yeah. and a half million documents. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I, I watched a couple interviews with the real uh, Dan Jones, and he seems much more interesting and approachable than Adam Driver. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Because I was wondering, like, I wonder if this guy is actually, like, fun to be around. <laughs> you don't get the fun part of this guy in the movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Should we give the people what they want, though? What, what, wait, what do they want? Just, like, in the final few minutes, can we just talk about Kamala Harris? Just a little bit. <laughs> I have nothing. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say about Kamala Harris anymore her her you know 
Tulsi Gabbard, I think, ended her career. <laughs> and but I mean, it's not like she qualified um, for the next round of debates after that. So. I think she is going to. But not after when she had first said oh, what she said. Right. Um, well, now she's good. Which she's, I think was the it... beginning of the end for Kamala Harris's um, career. And I I guess I wish her well. And um, I hope that she does some self-crit so that she can become um, a better politician and less of a cop. You know, I think that was actually very well. You said that you had nothing to say, but you were... <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, I'm yeah. glad she's fucking gone. Yeah, it's pretty funny. If you would like, I I loved that Facebook post that you had posted, Ben. You had said something along the lines of, "If you would have told me ten months ago that Kamala Harris was going to drop out before the Iowa caucus, I would have told you you're full of shit." Yeah, yeah. which is like 100. percent What were all of us saying like months ago when I first yeah. started yeah. on this podcast? Right, we were all saying that Kamala, Kamala Biden, Warren and Sanders. It were, Warren we and Sanders, weren't even yeah. worried about Warren yet back no. then, or no. Buttigieg, right? Or Buttigieg. Now it's like crazy. Yeah, and, you know, like I, oh my God, Twitter was just so bad after that. <laughs> I thought that some concerns were valid, um, where people are like worried that oh, again, we're having a very whitewashed, you know, whitewashed nominees or white, whitewashed candidates. I think that those va- those concerns are valid. I think that people like stoking the fires of those people's concerns are wrong, but at the end of the day, she wasn't the right candidate that I would prefer to see in a like a black woman running, you know, like um but I also don't want to like people to forget that there are still other um candidates of color because Cory Booker technically is still running, Tulsi Gabbard is still running, Elizabeth Julian Warren. Castro. <laughs> nope, I'm not I'm not I'm not. I made the joke immediately and then I saw Trump made the same joke and I oh. wasn't going to make it again. And obviously Bernie Bernard Sanders is still that. a Jew is a Jew so he still technically like counts as a as like a minority within the race. So, you know, well, not according to the people on Twitter. Um people on Twitter, he's just an old white guy and I am, you know. He's white, but yeah. he's Jewish. But I mean, that's just that's just kind of just like erase erasure of identity is isn't that the kind of stuff that that's supposed to like flip these people out and they really they just always do it with Bernie Sanders and I think the problem is that since he's not a practicing Jew and because he's white that it is easy to look over the fact that he is Jewish Um, but I mean yeah when it comes down to it he's a white Jew he's Ashkenazi he's American he's not practicing but he is still Jewish I saw I saw uh, probably the most probably the most popular uh, pro Kamala take to come out after she dropped out was I think it was an I think it was an opinion article from maybe Politico or maybe CNN that pinned her uh, failure and her dropping out on anti-blackness, which I don't I don't agree with really because I mean I'm I'm not I'm not saying that there were people that there weren't people who disliked her because she was a black woman, but like even like you look at the polling like even most black people didn't like her as a candidate. Yeah, and, and like this criticism of like why were they attacking her for her record as a as a prosecutor? Was that racially motivated? It's like, well, no, it's because she had a horrible yeah. record. Well, it's the opposite. She was a prosecutor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. That that all that also upset me um, because you know we're attacking Pete Buttigieg also based on his actions within the black community, which is like he's like pulling at like zero within the black right. community. Um, we don't get credit for that though. I mean, I can't say I uh, to be completely honest with all of you. I'm exhausted all the time between work and parenting my recent move and then planning the wedding. I have not been keeping up with politics that much. But, you know, what I can say is that I do really hope that Internet leftists are going to just destroy Pete Buttigieg. I don't think that Mayor Pete has, you know, I don't think he has any reason to be in the race. And um, I think that would be really important to see that money does not mean everything in in the presidential race, because the only reason he is where he is is because of billionaire donors. If we give the nomination to this fucking, like, McKinsey vampire, I'm going to be so depressed. And the other Menendez brother. (laughs) And honestly, and you want to know what? You you said this earlier, Allie, like, um... Yes, like the primary is going to be like a lot whiter now, especially the debate stage, because I don't think Cory Booker is going to make yeah. it. Um, but I'm pretty sure Tulsi Gabbard and uh, y- Andrew Yang will get up there. They, so, that was another that was uh, another minority yeah, that I so, had meant to um, mention. But but if if you're really concerned about that, um, here's what I would say: uh, Don't allow billionaires to donate to Democrats anymore. You're the DNC. You can do that. Um, don't allow billionaires to self-fund their campaigns. You're the DNC. You can do that. 
Like, if if you really want, you know, all these uh, barriers brought down so that more uh, diverse people can join the race, then by all means, do it. That, but they're never going to do it because they don't care about diversity. And, you know, like, it, it, I was just kind of like, um, on you know, scrolling through Twitter after the announcement. And what I found just hilarious is now that basically uh, the K-Hive, as they're called, they're not supporting any candidate, at least the ones on Twitter. They're not going to support any other candidate until it's like uh, determined who it's going to be. They're not going to support anybody in this primary. I think what's important to remember, is though, is that the the hive, as I've been like, it just looks like hive when I read it. Um, that's not a that's not a very big group of people. I think that. Um, yeah, you're right. I think that what's important is that um, we keep letting the records speak mm-hmm. for themselves. Yeah. So you know what I mean. Like it's not it it's not trying to convince people. Like I don't know. It's it's. It's iffy because diversity is obviously like very important to people. People are people of color, marginalized people, disenfranchised people. They're incredibly tense. They've been constantly since Trump and even before. Don't get me wrong. Right. Targeted. And I just think that it's the emotions are really high. And I think that these things, even though it's really like important for us to be like, you know, hyper vigilant and whatever, we still have to we still have to do it with a, like a sense of like, you know, sensitivity. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the reason why, like, um, I brought that up was just because, like, uh, it's it, like they're mad at, like, you know, Bernie supporters and Elizabeth Warren supporters when really the people who they should be mad at are Is Kamala the, Harris. No. Well, Kamala Harris won. But also the Pete Buttigieg supporters. It's the Pete Buttigieg people that are that totally fucked up Kamala Harris's campaign, because if you if like that, that. It's been Pete's right. It's it's Pete and Elizabeth Warren's rise that contributed to um, uh, Kamala Harris's downfall. And you can't blame like um, Elizabeth Warren because she's like a top three candidate. You go to the you, you go to the bottom rung and you blame that guy if you're dropping out. You don't blame the top candidates or their supporters. Like it's also, just weird. Well, also consider that Kamala hired a lot of uh, Clinton's people. Right. Like you hired the people who ran the campaign that lost to a fucking reality TV show host. Like yeah. that should have yeah. been a red flag from the beginning. But I think to be fair, the, Warren had a lot of Clinton sta- Clint, former Clinton staffers on her in her camp too. That's true too. So I think. Yeah, and, I, and there was a lot of analysis. I didn't read a lot, but there was analysis that you know Kamala failed mostly because her you know her campaign was so badly run, which I think maybe that's partly true. But I don't think that can I don't think that can explain all of it. I think you know she was trying to occupy a lane and got basically pushed out, put you know pushed out of that mm. um, pushed out of that lane. And and if I, I think if she who knows I think if she maybe if she had stuck to her guns on Medicare for all and a couple other issues and you know. And, and try to be a little more progressive. Maybe we'd hung in there a little bit longer. Or even I, if she had, know. even if she had even flip flopped on things that she had done as a prosecutor that had really rubbed people the wrong way, it would have been disingenuous. But it would have been a step to say, you know, what I did may have been wrong. I've grown as a candidate, though. If she had even done something like that, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would have seen it as disingenuous because it would have been. But I think it would have been a step in the right direction. Well, and another thing that gives me hope is that, like, I, I think ten years ago, ten. Her record as a prosecutor would not have been that big of a deal. It would have been, oh yeah, she's you know good on she's protects us and she's good on crime and things like tough on crime and things like that. I mean, it would have been great. I mean, twenty thirty years ago, it would have been a, would have been a huge yeah. plus for her. And yeah. we're at a moment now when that record can seriously derail your campaign is is an actual good thing. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, agreed yeah, for sure. Agreed. And, and I think this lane. Well, for we're still trying to use it against Biden. Um, yeah. Yes, but, and mean, somehow somehow he is just hanging in there sucking fingers and shit i i don't understand and to go back to what you were saying because i meant to say this when you had mentioned like oh um like her record because she's a black person you know we're like coming down harsh more harshly on her i do think that there in it is kind of true because when you look at what's you know we tried doing that with biden and he is somehow still a front runner yeah it's a tragedy uh we were 
we're over time now, so we got to wrap up. But the moral of the story is that the CIA gave an $80 million contract to two fucking psychopaths so that they could carry out Nazi-like experiments on prisoners of war. Um, and no one has gone to jail for it. No one's been prosecuted. Uh, in fact, the person who destroyed the tapes uh, of the torturing uh, is now the current director of the CIA. So anyway, uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, <laughs> you guys good? Yeah, I'm so great. light note. It's a very light note to end on. All right, well, we'll be back with another episode soon. Bye.